Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN. We are back following week two, leading into week three here in the college football season. With another episode of the Take 10 Podcast and a, uh, another great discussion with a really phenomenal guest who I actually didn't know much about until uh, until this year, until we became co-workers this year. But I got to know a lot more about as uh, he joined the team here at BTN and on this podcast as he shared some of his personal life. Uh, the name is Joshua Perry. For Ohio State fans out there listening, they know Joshua as a Buckeye linebacker, had a cup of coffee in the NFL, and then retired uh, early. I think he's only about 25 uh, due to concussion issues and injury issues, and um, now is forging a career in sports media, and that includes a role here at the Big Ten Network. This uh, this fall is his debut here at BTN, and he does studio work for us as an analyst on Fridays and Saturdays. So has a heavy load here at BTN, um, pretty much covers all the games, and really does a heck of a job. He's definitely, I know, impressed me and, and impressed ton of people here at the, the office um, just with his knowledge and his ability to uh, relay that that knowledge and that insight to an audience and to do it on camera and do it at such a young age. So brought Joshua on to not only talk some Big Ten football, but to uh, discuss his career path and his journey to BTN and some of his interests outside of uh, football. So really fun 20-minute discussion coming up with Joshua. And beyond that, we brought Harold Shelton, our researcher here at BTN, back in the studio for our weekly Stat Head segment, where we go behind the numbers of Big Ten football and go in-depth into the nitty-gritty of some of uh, some of the stats and in-depth analysis of the sport. So first up is Joshua Perry. Um, before we get to him, quick reminder, you can find the BTN Take 10 podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and on the BTN YouTube channel and SoundCloud as well. So find us there. Give us a review, a rating if you could, if you like the show. If you're uh, not a fan, keep that review in your pocket and we'll be all good. All right. Without further ado, let's get to Joshua Perry. The interview with the current BTN analyst, former Buckeye linebacker, starts right now. Uh, very pleased to be joined by one of the newest members of the BTN studio team. He's a former linebacker at Ohio State. It's Joshua Perry. Joshua, what's going on with you, man? How's it going? Hey, I'm great. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for joining me um, on what's technically an off day for you here at the network. Uh, we're taping this on Wednesday, and uh, for fans out there, you can catch Joshua in studio on BTN on Fridays and Saturdays. So before we get into some football talk, I want to talk about your personal path to uh, our broadcast booth and for those who don't know uh, you retired from the NFL after a couple years and um, several more concussions and that kind of drove you and, and, and steered you toward retirement uh, so how long before you actually stepped away did you contemplate retiring because of um, those injury issues you know it's really interesting I think there are so many injuries that athletes tend to fight through and you know, I've been a fighter my whole career and, uh, so you deal with with an ankle, you deal with the shoulder, you deal with an elbow um, differently than you deal with concussion. So after the fifth one I had, that was coming out of uh, my second preseason in the NFL. I was like, man, how many more of these can I really take and feel comfortable? And uh, that was kind of just a thought process. And I talked to 
um, the family a little bit about it and said, hey, you know, this is where I'm at. And they're like, you know, it's a, a good thought process. Uh, just keep focusing on the grind. If anything pops up, we'll we'll restart this conversation later on. Um, coming out of my uh, third preseason, that's when I had my final concussion playing football. And it just made sense to leave the game at that time. I had uh, two previous good years in the league. I uh, was stacking up some money, trying to be smart about that. And then uh, finally just, you know, understanding the fact that there are certain things that you can't get back. And your brain health is one of those things that you just, you can't, you know, you can't do it. So um, it made sense for me. I had full support of my family. And I'm really satisfied with the trajectory my career has taken since retirement. I love doing sports media. I do some other things locally in Columbus that I really get to enjoy. And I get to spend time around people I really care about. So um, it's been it's been a good transition. Yeah, I was going to say, from afar, it seems like it's been a really smooth transition. Uh, how long into your football career had you kind of been eyeing a move into sports media? Was this something that you've been thinking about for a while? No, it's actually something that happened on accident a little bit. So um, I got home from Columbus after retirement, and I was looking for things to do. So the first thing I did was enrolled in a real estate class because I've always wanted to uh, get into real estate in some capacity. Um, I'm, I'm on the sales side right now. Actually, I'm a licensed realtor in Columbus. So uh, when I'm not in Chicago, that's one of the things I work on. But um, the local radio station called, and I have a relationship with some of the on-air talent there. And they wanted me to do a pregame show for Ohio State football last year, and I ended up doing that. Um, that turned into one of the local TV stations calling me, and I ended up doing a postgame show for them for Ohio State football on a, a weekday show, and I was doing high school football for them. Um, then that transitioned into me having my own show on Tuesday nights on the radio station, then hopping in on a different show on Wednesdays. And so it just started taking off, really. Um, and I started getting reps in the business. I started really enjoying it. Uh, met some, some cool people and ran into some unique opportunities to where I got the call to audition for Big Ten Network. So it was something that happened just off of, hey, you present well, you know how State football, come talk about it on Saturdays to, you know, adding up to more and more different things until I got to this point. So very fortunate to have people that have invested their time into me in, in this part of uh, my career and this part of my transition. Yeah, at any point in this process, has, has it been nerve-wracking? Has it always kind of come natural to you? Like, even up through the tryout here at BTN, have you ever uh, been uncomfortable in, on camera, on, on the air? What's it, uh, what's it been like as from a personal standpoint? I, I was always the, like, throw-up-before-the-game kind of guy, like, you know, super conscientious, high-anxiety uh, type deal. So it was no different for me moving into media. Like, I, I get the, the bubble guts sitting on set before the camera comes on and then the camera comes on and things become a little bit different. I start to settle in, but, um, most of the nerves that I ever have from anything I do just comes from wanting to do the best I can or wanting to do the right thing. So, uh, the, the thing that I really appreciate is the amount of people who spend time, uh, coming up with prep and stats and then, you know, producers spending time coming up with the segments and then working on air, with Mike, Glenn, and Dave has been awesome because those, I mean, getting into the business as early on as I am, those are three guys you really want to be around because they all offer different things. They're all veterans um, within the business who who know how to guide. Like, Glenn was literally a coach, so he knows how to coach, but 
Dave and Mike are just like true professionals, so watching how they do things has been super helpful for me as well. Aside from the obvious positive feedback loop of you continuing to get more and more work, uh, what kind of feedback have you gotten from maybe producers or bosses or family, friends uh, about your work on air so far? You know, it's been pretty positive. Um, you start to realize certain things like, you know, when you asked me how I was doing today, my answer was probably fantastic. That's something I do. I say the word fantastic to talk myself into having a lot of energy and talk myself into having a great day early on in the day that has leaked over on camera a little bit. So like just finding out that you have a crutch word, something that you're in tune with, um, different things presentation wise, like I hop on my Twitter and people say that my goatee looks ugly on camera <laughs> to the point where, you know, like I called my dad and my mom and I'm like, does this goatee really look bad? And they're like, it's really not a great look. So I ended up shaving it. Um, but the one thing that I will say, like, uh, Twitter is very helpful in terms of feedback because people have nothing to lose when they say things. Uh, they're pretty transparent. And the one thing that I have appreciated is fan bases like Michigan's fan base or Penn State or even like Rutgers or Illinois who haven't done so well in the last few years uh, appreciate some of the takes that I have and just the, the approach that I have to the game, having played against all those teams, um, you know, having just a, a different insight into the game. So, uh, for me, I like being in places that are evaluation-friendly. Football is always evaluation-friendly. Everything's on tape. Coming into media, it's the same thing. Everything's on tape, whether it's me doing radio here, whether it's me being on Big Ten in Chicago. Everything is on tape. We can evaluate it. We can see what went well, what didn't, and then we can move forward with the plan to make sure that we're getting better each and every day. Yeah, just don't let the Twitter trolls get you down too much. You know, Don't, don't let them start <laughs> dictating your appearance all that, all that often or else you'll go into a rabbit hole. Uh, Joshua, one one last question about your your uh, personal life before we move into some football. Uh, you mentioned you're into real estate and you do radio in Columbus. How else do you spend your time when you're not doing football related activities or work uh, over there in Ohio? Man, it's crazy. So I spend time with family. That's a you know it's just one of those uh, priorities. You know, you make time for what's important. So prioritizing for me is faith and family first, and then my work life comes after. Uh, so just being able to do that. I've got a younger brother who lives in town. Both of my parents live in town. I live with my girlfriend. Uh, my older brother lives out on the West Coast, but any opportunity I get to go out to Long Beach, I, I take that opportunity. That's super important. I like to read. I'm an avid reader. So um, whatever... You know, I've got a stack of books, and I read about business, and I read about organizational leadership, um, you know, those types of things. So that's been really cool for me to do, just have some free time during the day to be able to read. Um, I um, I like Hulu, like streaming, so that's one thing that I tend to watch, just a couple of 90s sitcoms is like my, my thing right now. But I also have a charity, a foundation that I run here in Columbus, called the Joshua Perry Family Foundation, and we work with kindergarten through eighth graders, um, and we want to inspire them through empowerment, self-efficacy, and education. So I spend time going to local schools, um, you know, speaking to the kids. We do a school supply drive, so we give to the kids. Uh, we collect uh, gently used clothing, so we're able to give in that fashion as well. And just anything that we can do to provide not only some of these resources, like I was saying with school supplies and clothes, but also... Um, adults who 
can invest their time into these kids and make them believe that somebody outside their community cares about them. I feel like that's a really important thing to have. And I know a lot of kids grew up without a champion and it hurts them. I knew a lot of guys who I played ball with that were successful because they had a champion uh, that was able to help them grow and progress and, and really be a mouthpiece for them trying to get to where they are in football or academics or whatever it was. So um, that's something I'm very passionate about and I like to spend my time doing. Yeah, it sounds like an off uh, work balance that you know we can all kind of strive for and definitely highly encourage our listeners here to check out your foundation and um, you know you're, you're spot on that some of the uh, you know the efforts that you're doing are so vastly needed, especially uh, you know communities like you said where, where kids might not have anyone to uh, to advocate for them. So that's awesome you're doing that. I'm glad uh, I'm glad I asked and uh, definitely gonna ask you more about that when we're here in person together. Um, but for the listeners here, we'll move on to some football talk and we'll start with. Your alma mater. I want to know what you've seen from the Buckeyes through two games uh, and two pretty impressive games, from my perspective. Yeah, so I think the first game offensively they got off to a really hard, uh, hot start, and a lot of that was the ability for Justin Fields to move the ball down the field through the air. And the defense they were playing against with FAU wasn't great, but you know they're, you got to beat the guys, you got to make the throws, and we saw him connect on some pretty passes. Um, I, I like the addition of the tight ends into the game plan. I like the addition of some under center play action type looks into the game plan because um, tight ends are big targets. Often they're underneath, so it's an easier throw for a quarterback. Play action opens up windows for quarterback. It gets the linebacker sucked in, and so you have the ability to throw it over the linebacker but under the safety into a pretty open window, so it helps a young quarterback like Justin Fields is very talented. But the other thing that I saw was the ability to roll the pocket um, and that turns his vision to one side of the field and you get level routes which means that you'll have somebody shallow somebody in intermediate routes somebody deep you'll get flood routes which means you'll have uh, multiple receivers in one zone and that helps make the reads really easy and so the talent that you have coupled with the ability to go through reprogression through some of these things that they're doing offensively is great um, in the second game on offense what you saw was the run game and J.K. Dobbins coming back in I think 141 yards and a couple of scores and you ripped off a 50-yarder or whatever it was. Um, that's what you see now is the combination between explosive pass game and explosive run game. Defensively, I think this past Saturday against Cincinnati was extremely encouraging for the Buckeyes because uh, last year defense was what held them back. It was something that they struggled with. The run game uh, was open for everybody they played. It seemed like they had trouble in the back end of their defense as well. And to hold a Cincinnati team that had a good running back and a quarterback who could make plays throwing the ball and running the ball to zero points uh, was very good for them. And so hopefully throughout the rest of the season, if you're an Ohio State fan, you see the Buckeyes climb the ladder on defense and keep playing at that level because the way their offense can score points, if they have a defense that can limit other offenses, that turns into a championship mix there. Yeah, I think... They've definitely looked like one of the most impressive teams in the Big Ten so far. I'm curious if anyone, uh, if you think, is approaching or at their level. I mean, two teams that come to mind. One is Wisconsin. Um, I think they look like a, a resurgent team this year and just outscoring opponents 110-0. to zero. You can't really argue with that dominance. Penn State, I know they struggle with Buffalo, but the talent across the board on both sides of the ball 
is uh, pretty intriguing, and and I think they can, you know, at least kind of approach that stratosphere that Ohio State is in in terms of talent. So I'm I'm just curious if you think any Big Ten teams are at Ohio State's level at this point, or at least approaching it. Um, I think that the, the closest team right now would be Wisconsin, and I think Wisconsin is ahead of Ohio State defensively. I think they're playing championship defense right now. Does not matter what the opponent is, but uh, to hold teams to two shutouts is hard. It's tough for anybody to do that. Um, and I think that they have their swagger back. Last year we had questions about what they could do defensively. This year we said, would they be able to fix it? And early on it looks like they have. They're creating negative yardage plays. They're creating turnovers. They're doing all the things that you would like to see a defense do. But I think the thing that puts them up on that level where you talk about great teams in the Big Ten, where you talk about somebody who can rival Ohio State for that number one spot, is the fact that Jack Cone is going out there and he's doing a great job throwing the ball. And you already have Jonathan Taylor, who everybody knows about, is one of the prolific offensive players in the nation. And back-to-back games where he's had four touchdowns, you cannot downplay that. But Wisconsin going out there and throwing for 400 and running for 199 a week ago is what opens your eyes because you – when you talk about Wisconsin football, you're not talking about passing 400 yards. You might talk about running for 400 yards, but not throwing for 400 yards. So uh, if, if they can manipulate defense's game plans, because the way we used to do it when we would play Wisconsin is we would go in there, we would play straight man-to-man defense. So we called it over black. It was manned up. Everybody gapped up in the run game so we could stop the run. That's primarily why we did it. And then we said, beat us with your weapons outside. Um, and oftentimes they couldn't do it because they didn't have the wide receiver talent or they didn't have the quarterback. And now when you look, they have Jack Cohen who can throw the ball down the field, and they have probably three wide receivers that they feel confident in, led by Quintez Cephas, who's back um, after missing last year. And so now you can't just straight man them because they can beat you on the outside. You have to come up with unique defenses. You have to be able to, to go back and forth between man and zone. And they'll hurt you one way or the other. They'll find that matchup. If you're light in the box, they'll run it down your throat. If you're heavy in the box, they'll challenge you on the outside. And it's really tough to defend offenses that can do both. That's why I think they'll be great in the Big Ten. Yeah, so far they certainly look fixed. Michigan State looks much better as well. Uh, However, one team that's limping and limping in a a high-profile fashion is Michigan. And I know you're an unbiased analyst, um, even though you are a Buckeye. And you're going to take no joy in this, but uh, diagnose what has been wrong with Michigan so far for me, if you could. And I, I think Michigan, uh, so I'll say this about their first game. They're playing Middle Tennessee. People are like, they should blow them out. It shouldn't be a close game. Flip on the tape, and I want you to watch how hard Middle Tennessee played the whole game. They played like they weren't going to go away. That was a team that was scrappy. They had a quarterback who was gutsy and tough. You know, it's hard in those games early on when a team is not just going to go away. Even in a home game, those guys said, you know what, we have our pride, we're going to come out here, we're going to play hard. And so give the other teams credit for doing what they did. The same thing with Army. Um, That's a team of, like, you know, like real guys. Those are dudes all the way. They're going to play you hard. They have their system. Their system works. They train at it like no other. So they, they present a unique challenge. But they played two teams that played really hard. I think the first game we saw a little bit more of an imaginative offense um, with the caveat that I really don't think they wanted to expose their full playbook. Uh, I think defensively, in the first game, they had their ups and downs, but they ended up playing pretty well. They were able to create some turnovers. Um, they did what they needed to do. 
you look at the second game against Army, I think their defense did a great job. When you talk about playing a service academy, when I was at Ohio State, we played Navy in 2014. It's hard. They run the triple option attack. The guys play hard. They cut block. Um, they're not super big, but they move like a machine. On defense, you don't know. We practice without a football because you just don't know where the ball is. Um, and that's, that presents a challenge. If not everybody does their job the way that they're supposed to. They're, they're going to get a play. And I think their defense really did a great job. And even in that uh, overtime period, you saw how they stepped up and they really won the game. Um, I, I don't have a lot of criticism for that. I think the question is, and I know it's a different offense than last year, but it doesn't look any more imaginative than last year. And the trouble for them, like on a fourth and two, you can't get two yards to convert on a run play. Like that's an issue. When you look at the ball protection of Shea Patterson, he puts the ball on the ground a few times and they're able to make their uh, armies able to come up with some turnovers. That's an issue. And so the thing that you say is you can absolutely expand your playbook and come up with more creative play calling. The thing that you say is you can teach ball security and how to protect the ball in practice and correct those things. But it needs to happen in a hurry right now because I feel like people are starting to lose confidence in the Wolverines. Yeah, they'll continue to be under that magnifying glass for sure. It's not going to get any easier for them. Uh, Joshua, I know you're up against a tight media schedule, the busy man that you are, so I'm going to ask one more question and let you go. Uh, and uh, can't wrap up the podcast without talking about probably the best story in the Big Ten so far. Uh, it's the Maryland Terrapins. I'm wondering if you think they are uh, for real, for real, because, like, to me, beating Syracuse makes them for real, but are they for real, for real? Are they going to make some noise in the Big Ten East this year? I think they'll make noise, but this, this is the this is the challenge of playing in the Big Ten. I want to I want to pull this up because um, I think it's important to talk about it. They they did a great job going out there and executing a game plan. When you talk about the amount of points that they put up, things what sixty three points, um, and they only gave up twenty. That's not what we're used to seeing out of Maryland. They struggled a little bit. We all know that. Um, they I think their offense. They have a great offensive-minded coach, and so they've they've found success using a transfer quarterback, um, being able to move the ball down the field with the weapons that they have. McFarland is one of the uh, better running backs in all the conference, so I think they they have what they want there. Uh, their defense has made plays to me, and it's been a little bit surprising. I didn't expect them to be this far along, but I want you to to, to hear this. Ohio State has five ranked opponents left on the regular season schedule. Um, when you look at the rest of the Big Ten, uh, Michigan has seven ranked opponents left. Michigan State has five. Penn State has five. Wisconsin has four. So, they might run into some trouble throughout the Big Ten, but let's not forget that they're probably still a good team, because you beat a number 20 ranked team out of a different conference, probably the second best team in that conference, what people thought. Um, the Big Ten is going to get tough. There's going to be a point in this schedule where you're you're going to evaluate at the end of the year. You're going to look at a two, three, four loss team, and you're going to want to evaluate them based off of their record. But you have to remember the amount of depth and talent within this conference this year specifically. Um, so if Maryland hits a couple bumps in the road, it doesn't mean that they didn't do a great job. It means that they played some really good teams in a really, really deep conference this year, and it's just a challenge for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with a team like Maryland in year one, uh, with the depths of that program kind of sank to with with everything that happened there, and rebuilding under 
Mike Locks, I think you'd ask any Maryland fan, and they would take a, a bowl game in year one uh, if you asked them at the beginning of the year, and they're, they're well on their way to that. So, Joshua, I appreciate the time. Thanks for dropping some knowledge with me. Uh, enjoyed getting to know you a little better, and we'll see you in a couple of days here in Chicago. No doubt. Appreciate it. All right, thanks once again to Joshua for joining me. Um, I really talked him up, I think, in the intro. And hopefully you kind of understood what I'm talking about if you're listening to that interview, how uh, smooth and talented he really is behind the mic and how lucky we are to have him here at BTN. So excited uh, for what's to come from Mr. Perry as we move along. All right, as I mentioned at the top of the show, before we wrap up the episode, we'll toss it over to BTN researcher Harold Shelton for his weekly stat head segment. He dives behind the numbers, Big Ten football, uh, talks recaps of week two and looks ahead to week three and and gets into some of the matchups and uh, what awaits us here as we move into the third weekend of the college football season. Kind of fourth weekend if you count that week zero matchup between Miami and Florida, but uh, week three coming up, it's, you know, we're not really that far into the season, but it seems like it's already going pretty fast. We've already kind of hit the turbo boosters here. So see what Harold's got for us, and we'll toss it over to him. It's a stat head segment with our BTN researcher. It starts right now with Harold Shelton. All right, very pleased to be joined once again in our makeshift studio. H, let's pray we keep the noise out today, um, except for the noise of our own voices, obviously, with the stat head segment. Welcome back, sir. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's hump day. You know, week three. Ball still rolling, less games this week, so that's always a good thing, at least for me. Me too. You know, the, <laughs> the less games that are on, the more games I can focus closely on, which exactly. means I'm not scrambling in segments like this to know what I'm talking about. Right. So I'm on the same page with you there. Um, let's look back at week two. There were a bunch of games. I tried to keep uh, one eye at least on on each game as they, they moved along. Um, what was your, your big takeaway? Because mine, honestly, uh, was the Dirty Terps. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that, you know, Maryland was favored against Syracuse um, going in. And, you know, Maryland doesn't have a, didn't have a number next to their name, and Syracuse did. And you kind of wonder, like, hmm, that's interesting. Um, I kind of thought Maryland would win the game just because Syracuse didn't play that well. But I, there's no way I expected them, uh, to, you know, to just pr- completely boat race them. I mean, that game was over midway through the second quarter. Uh, it was not close. You know, Terps have done an amazing job. And, you know, they're just one of several Big Ten teams that are just scoring a ton of points already in right. the first two weeks. This is not your father's three yards in cloud of dust Big Ten. Have you seen scoring like this? I mean, you're, you have such a better frame of reference than I do, you know, with Ohio State putting up a bunch of points. Maryland, obviously. We talked about Wisconsin going 110 and 0 over their, uh, their first two opponents. Cause is there any other season that jumps out? off the top of your head that reminds you of uh, of the start in 2019? So, you know, there might be one or two teams that'll do it. Like, you know, Ohio State last year, you know, they put up a ton of points in the opener. I think it was like 77 against Oregon State, and they followed that up, you know, well, I think it was 52 against Rutgers. So, like, you get some games where it's like that or some teams, but you don't normally get a ton of them. And, you know, the fact that, you know, Penn State, Maryland, and Wisconsin all have uh, – point differentials over 100 <laughs> through yeah. two weeks and no one else in the country is even close to those three is pretty eye-opening yeah it's not normal and speaking of high point totals you harped on it uh last week 
your alma mater, Michigan State, needed to cross that 30-point threshold. They they more than did that. That had to be nice to see for you. Yeah, it was. You know, it was probably one of the less stressful games I've seen in quite a while. I mean, even games that they would win in, you know, 2018 and 2017, normally decided, you know, mid to late fourth quarter. It was always, you know, some kind of stress. Uh, it was good to see the offense just, you know, put up points and put up big plays in bunches. Uh, looks like they might have found a running back in Elijah Collins. Yeah. Um, it was good to see, you know, the the offensive line play well. They kind of went away from what they normally do. They went more zone blocking, uh, took more downfield shots, less fullback stuff, less double tight end stuff. It actually looked like a more modern offense, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Yeah, 50-burger uh, Spartans put up on, on Western Michigan. Indiana as well, that was kind of expected against Eastern Illinois. Um, I don't know if you heard this this take yesterday on, on the air. I'm sure you did because you watched the shows. Uh, Michael Penix, Indiana's quarterback, who you know, is getting some well-deserved hype. Our own Dave Wanstead said that he's uh, on Antoine Randall-L's level. I don't know if you, you heard that or, or agree with that, but I thought that was a, an eyebrow-raising comment. Um, I did hear that, um, and I think from week one, uh, when he had you know nearly 400 yards in his first start, it had people kind of thinking, of Randall L. I mean, Randall L. was special. I mean, he was extremely special at Indiana. That was a really, really big shoes to fill for a guy who's only started two games, but he definitely has potential. I see why Tom Allen made that move. You kind of know what you're getting from Ramsey, and so far that has not been good enough to get to the postseason. I think you have to take a chance on a guy with a higher ceiling like Penix has. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, speaking of stress-free games, um, you know, you mentioned Ohio State, Iowa over Rutgers. I think that was pretty expected. It's tough, you know, for Rutgers to, to go on the road. And it's tough for anyone to win in Iowa, but I don't, I don't think anyone was surprised by that outcome. Um, you know, we addressed Wisconsin. So those are kind of the, the stress-free ones. Um, Penn State as well over Buffalo. It was a little hairy in the first half, but they, they figured it out. But you want to look at a, a team that, um, you know, was stressed out till the final buzzer, really, until they ran and celebrated with their uh, students in, in the in the end zone, uh, Michigan over Army. That game was a thriller to watch. That was nuts. Um, and, and really, you know, Joshua and I talked about it on our discussion this morning, but, um, you know, Michigan just can't really get anything going right now. I don't know if any numbers stand out to you or any trends stand out to you, but um, obviously Army made them play their game, slowed it down. It, it wasn't a huge surprise to me just because that's what Army can do with a, a well-disciplined team and, and a well-coached team. But why do you think Michigan has had trouble so far moving the ball, and do you think it can get straightened out heading into a bye week and, and a much tougher part of the schedule? Uh, ball security, I think that's the biggest thing for them. Uh, you know, they lost three fumbles in the first half against Army. Uh, they lost three all year in 2018. You know, they lead the nation and in, in lost fumbles already with five, so I think that's a, a really, really big issue. But I think that's something that's correctable. You know, I don't think that's a schematic thing. I think that's just guys being careless and need needing to take, you know, better care of the ball. Um, you know, they've had some injury issues. You know, Donald, Donovan Peoples-Jones has been out. He hasn't played at all. Uh, John Runyon, who's an all-Big Ten left tackle, he's been banged up, hadn't really played. And so, you know, this bye week's kind of come at a good time for them. Uh, I definitely think those are some correctable things. But I, I did think it was interesting that, you know, we heard all about this speed in space mm-hmm. and, you know, we're going to open it up and, you know, throw the ball all over the place and, you know, have these running lanes for, you know, the true freshman running back. And when the game got tight, it looked like a lot of the same Jim Harbaugh style, 
you know, line up in a phone booth, run on first and second down type of offense that we've seen. You know, the fact that Charbonnet had to have 33 carries and only got 100 yards on those 33 carries is a little concerning. Right, and that was the, the big noon game on Fox, the, uh, the kind of the marquee game. And then Fox followed it up with the Nebraska-Colorado game, which was just as exciting. Um, a worse result for the Big Ten's perspective with, with Nebraska giving up a 17-0 lead and eventually, eventually losing to Colorado in OT. Um, is this a troubling trend for you with, with Nebraska? Because they, uh, in the very still very early stages of the rebuilder, Scott Frost, have given away some close games. And I know when rebuilds happen, um, sometimes these teams just need to learn how to win. You know, young guys and, and players that have, have lost for a few years now need to learn how to win. So is, it, is this a trend that concerns you at all? You know, we've seen it out of Purdue, too, as a rebuilding program that gave away a game to Nevada, gave away a handful of games last year. What do you think is up with, uh, you know, just these kind of collapses that we've seen from from Nebraska and from uh, Purdue as well? Yeah, I think it's just kind of a mentality thing. You know, if you see Ohio State trailing in the fourth quarter, you figure they're going to find a way to win because they always find a way to win. And Nebraska, Purdue, you know, teams that are trying to build something, it's more of if a team makes a run at them, it's, uh-oh, not again. Right. It's a great point. Again. Yeah. And I think, you know, Scott Frost kind of alluded to that when he spoke on Monday, you know, that it's an attitude thing, it's a mentality thing, it's not a talent thing. And I think he's right. I mean, the fact that they still haven't won a road game under him, the fact that they are one in six and one possession games under him is a troubling trend. And I think they have to, you know, string a couple of those wins together to fully get the belief. Um, you know, it's it's all you know, fun and games, and you can run around and score a lot of points. But as soon as you get some adversity, especially when you're on the road, like you have to find a way to respond. And so far, they have not been able to do that. Yeah, so much of it is confidence too. Um, you know, you, you look at a team like the Patriots; they know exactly where to be, what they're doing, because they're confident in the system, confident in the you know, obviously their quarterback, and you know where the receivers are going to be, and and you know their defense is stout. So that's obviously the gold standard, but it, it just goes to show that, you know, having been there before can make a huge difference. Um, a team that did much better in a close game, you know, if anyone was awake to see it, was Minnesota, Fresno State. Um, they, The Gophers have won two close games now. You know, they could be 0-2, but they're not. They, they pulled out both uh, close ones. So Minnesota, is, is it, you know, a concerning sign that, that – these games have been so close and they expected to be maybe even a sleeper contender in the Big Ten West or at this point you just kind of take um, the wins where you can you can get them and acknowledge that a game on the West Coast is always tough, especially at a place like Fresno State. Yeah, I thought that was a dicey game to begin with. I think they were only favored by three. Last year's game went down to the final minute. Antoine Winfield had to bail them out with a pick in the end zone. Did the same thing again this year. I think, it, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> from the camera angle, it looked like the guy was wide open, and then all of a sudden, you just see him step in front and pick it off. Uh, wound up walking in my house at two fifteen a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that late game. Shout out to the Gophers for at least winning, <laughs> uh, making it a little easier for us. But uh, I think there's something to be said for winning close games. I mean, they've won four straight one possession games under PJ Fleck. You know, Nebraska and Purdue have had a lot of issues in those close games. So, yeah, they could be, you know, 0-2 or 1-1. But the fact that they were able to find a way to win those games, I think, you know, speaks volumes for what they're trying to build. And, 
you know, they've trailed for, and I think it's over 14 minutes in the fourth quarter already, and they're and they're two and zero. And the fact that they're able to continue to to win and to build, I think, is a good sign for the future. Yeah, it's all about perspective, right? Because you know, there's plenty of examples out there. If you're a Florida State or a Tennessee that have lost these games, and and you Miami, know, Miami, Miami too, exactly. And you know, you could be a Minnesota fan upset that you uh, barely beat South Dakota State, or an Illinois fan annoyed that you. Uh, had trouble with UConn, but I think at the end of the day, you'll take the, the wins, obviously, no matter what, and, and at least uh, be happy to, to be going into week three, 2-0. and And uh, speaking of week three, let's let's get into some of the matchups here. Looking ahead, um, I want to start with Purdue, because that matchup intrigues me quite a bit, especially um, with me not being too familiar with what's going on at the quarterback situation, because I know Sindelar, uh one, is tearing it up, on the stat sheet, he is leading the country in passing yards. He's up near the top, mm-hmm. right? Up near the top in touchdowns as well, I believe. Yep. Um, so that offense is is doing wonders. It's uh, kind of about the, the the rushing, the running game, and and the defense that's causing them trouble. And obviously, now we don't know if he's going to be healthy for that one. And also, there's some uncertainty on the quarterback side of TCU as well. So, talk to me about uh, the matchup with Purdue and TCU. It's it's just one of those games kind of pops up and you're like oh, i never really thought about those two teams ever playing each other but here they are it's a night game it's on btn what should we look for uh yeah it's definitely a tricky game for purdue um i think tcu is a, a slight favorite even on the road uh think things are definitely different if cindelar doesn't play because you have jack Plummer behind him with not much experience at all um they don't have a running game to lean on you know we've seen it already you know they've I think they only ran it 18 times against Vandy and threw it 52, and wow. I was with them. I didn't realize the disparity was that. It was that, yeah, it was that strong. And the fact that they were able to do that and they had to lead the whole time shows you that they chose to throw. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a lead, normally you try to run the clock and you hand the ball off. Not, and it not can get you guys. in trouble like the Nevada game. You know, exactly. the, the clock just – there was – Way too much time for Nevada to come back in that. Right. But I think they just don't have any explosion at the running back spot. You know, they got some inexperience and banged up offensive line uh, play. And so this is kind of the way that they're going to go. They're going to throw it all over the place. You know, their strength is at quarterback and receiver. And so they're going to try to get the, the ball in those guys' hands and, you know, kind of hope for the best. I mean, that's what makes them dangerous, but it can also, you know, cause them to lose games like the Nevada game. And, you know, TCU, they're kind of under the radar, which is the perfect place for Gary Patterson. Seems like when they have high expectations to start the year, they have a little, you know, have a few issues, but they're always great defensively. They have QB, uh, QB situation on their own. They, they played two guys in their, in their first game uh, against Arkansas Pine Bluff. They were off last week. But you got a Kansas State transfer who hadn't thrown it that well. And then you got a true freshman. Uh, and they're probably going to play both. And so we got QB questions all over the place <laughs> in that game. Right. And we got a sleeper cell from TCU. I don't know if you know that in the office, but uh, our very That's own right. Brent Urena. Where is his allegiance TCU line this week? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> we might have some bets going on in the office, but uh, that's neither neither here nor there. Exactly. Um, speaking of tearing it up before we move on, Rondell Moore is is putting up some wicked numbers. Like, Absolutely. Do you, have, what's, do you have in front of you what he's doing? I know he's leading the country in catches and yards. Um, he, I think he has already uh, – Eight games with at least 11 catches going back to the start of last year. No other player in FBS has yeah. more than four of those games. And so, again, 
he could sneak have, into New York. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you have a guy like this who's an all-purpose guy, too, so he's going to get touches as a returner, uh, you try to give him the ball as much as you can. And, you know, they kind of struggled with that a little bit early in the Vandy game. And then once they started getting him the ball, he started making things happen, and they broke that game open. All right, so a lot of Purdue talk. Let's move on. Um, back to your alma mater, the Spartans. Because I remember talking about this game, this matchup last year, and you were worried about it, and your worst fears came true. Because Arizona State, Herm Edwards and all, got the Spartans out west. Now, uh, you know, we got the um, Sun Devils heading to Spartan Stadium, and it's obviously going to be different circumstances, different weather, different time of uh, different game time. So how do you think Michigan State responds after – First off, getting off to a nice 2-0 start and, you know, knowing that there's some revenge to be had from last year. Yeah, see, I was hoping uh, as a fan that that would just be a noon kick, uh, 9 o'clock, you know, Pacific time in mm. the morning for Arizona State to kind of return the favor of the 10-30 start Michigan State sure. had. Unfortunately, that it would was just get the them, It would get them ready for the uh, 9 a.m. Pac-12 That's game true. next year. So. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, I wish I could have seen that as more of a home field advantage. But either way, I, I, I feel pretty good about Michigan State in this game. Um, now, Arizona State does have a a true freshman quarterback coming in. Uh, he's the 35th overall recruit in the country, uh, second-best dual-threat quarterback in the country. So it's a guy who could play yeah, like over 17,000 yards in high school, literally, mm-hmm. in total offense. So, I mean, it's a guy who's talented, but – you know, you play Kent State, you play Sacramento State. It's a little different going on the road against this Michigan State defense. So even if they aren't scoring a ton of points, I think they should still score enough because that defense should be able to hold them down. For sure. Um, I'm not too worried about Maryland and Temple. I think they keep rolling. I know Temple got them, was it two years ago? Yeah, or last, last year. Last year, okay. So, you know, it might be a trap game. I'm not worried I, about I, it. I, that's a that's a dicey worried? game. I think that's a really really right. dicey game. Maryland's if, riding high. If Maryland wins that game, I'll be impressed. Just because of it's human nature, and it, you got a bunch of kids, and everyone's telling you how great you mm-hmm. are. All oh, the Terps could be, you know, a dark horse in the East. You're ranked now. You know, oh, we're just playing Temple, whatever, no big deal. No, Temple's had a couple weeks to prepare. Same They're thing happened last year. Last after year. coming off the Texas win, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Temple was 0-2, and they went to College Park and pretty much controlled that whole game. Right. Maryland, I think, is the better team. They should win the game, but I think that's a dicey game if Maryland's not prepared. All right, let's talk the rivalry matchups. Week three is always fun for me because, you know, there's actually some bad blood going on usually. Like Pitt, Penn State – they don't like each other. Iowa, Iowa State, they don't like each other. It's, you know, there's some nastiness. There's, you know, a couple scuffles will break out on the sidelines, all that good stuff. Um, last year, Penn State beat the breaks off Pitt, and Iowa won, was it comfortably last year? I, uh, it was a back. really, really ugly game. Yep. They won 13-3. Okay, yeah, that rings a bell now. So not nearly as lopsided as Pitt-Penn State, but I'm wondering um, which team or which game do you think – will have a chance to be closer do you, do you think the big 10 teams will uh fare pretty well iowa state had a scare already earlier this year penn state's looked really solid how do you see these games shaking out do you think either one will be close uh i'd be shocked if iowa iowa state isn't close um i think that's a complete coin flip mm-hmm. game despite the fact that iowa state needed triple ot to beat northern iowa it's in ames it is in yeah. ames 
Um, they should have beat Iowa two years ago in Ames. Nate Stanley had to have a career day to, to get them out of there with a win. Uh, I know Iowa held down Iowa State last year, including, you know, David Montgomery, you know, right. Bears running back, he shut him down. But uh, Brock Purdy was not the quarterback in that game. He is now. They've had a couple weeks to prepare. No one's really talking about Iowa State because they fell out of the rankings because of the bad performance. Mm-hmm. And that game, it's weird, you know. Uh, Iowa's been the better program easily, you know, throughout Ference's tenure, and he's only 11-9 and nine in this game. And that's with the four-game win streak they have right now. So we've seen bad Iowa State teams beat good Iowa teams, and now you've got two good uh, teams playing against each other. I think that's a complete coin flip. Penn State, I would think, should win comfortably um, at home. You know, they got a lot of big plays. Uh, Pitt seems to, to struggle on offense. They've had some quarterback issues for a while. I will say Pat Narduzzi does like pulling rabbits out of the hat. He's mm-hmm. had some upsets, whether it's been, you know, Miami or Clemson. Uh, so he, he has a history of pulling off upsets, but uh, I don't see it in this one. Yeah, you're familiar, obviously. Pat Narduzzi, and, and I couldn't resist, but uh, you know, David Montgomery um, was shut down by by Iowa. The the only person to shut him down, uh, as well as the Hawkeyes did, is Matt Nagy the other night. So, Fair yeah. enough. Let's, 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 <laughs> let's give him a little more touches against the Broncos this weekend. Matt, what do you say? Um, H, before we wrap up, we got to talk about the Big Ten game. One Big Ten game going on in conference um, this upcoming weekend. It's weird because starting next year, I think, they're stacked up a lot more in the beginning of the season. Here we've gone 0-1-1. So last week, obviously, was the debut with Rutgers in Iowa, Ohio State in Indiana. Um, you know, tease us a little more this week, and then we get into the real thing coming up next week. So I feel like this Ohio State-Indiana game is one that every year I go into, and I'm like, well, maybe, you know, if Indiana does this and this and this falls their way. And credit to Indiana to a degree because they usually make it interesting against the Buckeyes. But at the end of the day, it's 24 straight for Ohio State over Indiana. Indiana hasn't won since like 88. Right. Um, so I don't know if you see this playing out any differently. If the head coaching change at Ohio State gives Indiana a little bit more of an advantage, it's going to be obviously in Bloomington. So um, that'll you know at least add a little variable to Indiana's chances. Do you see this playing out any differently, or um, is it going to be 25 in a row? I think it just follows the same script that we've seen. Two and a half quarters, maybe three quarters. The game is extremely competitive. Mm -hmm. And in the fourth quarter, you know, the talent just kind of rises. The cream rises to the top, and Ohio State is pulled away. Um, We've seen it, you know, throughout, you know, whether it's, you know, Indiana having the lead against Ohio State late third quarter, the last time they played in Bloomington. And then the Buckeyes score like you know twenty nine unanswered. Right. You yeah. know we've seen, you know Indiana have a first and goal, you know with a minute left to try to tie the game and not score. And so like we we see Indiana keep it close, keep it competitive, and then they just can't close the door. Um, I want to say Ohio State scored at least thirty against them eighteen straight times. Indiana hadn't scored in the fourth quarter the last three times they played them. Wow. So. Those are kind of the issues where Indiana will play them tough, and then they just can't get the stops yeah. when they need them. I mean, every year since I've been here, I feel like I've said one of these years Indiana is going to break through with that big win. Uh, we kind of saw it in 2016 against Michigan State. That was a big win at the time. Uh, we learned that Michigan State wasn't very good that year. Um, you know, Indiana's had some stop and start progress under you know Wilson and now Tom Allen, 
this is a huge opportunity for them. Absolutely. And, you know, I would be surprised, like you would be, if Indiana pulls it off, but the opportunity is there and it should be interesting to watch. Um, one more point before signing off. We kind of alluded to it earlier. Very interesting that Michigan and Wisconsin are both off heading into their big showdown next week. Do you think that's uh, good for both teams or do you think that serves one squad better than the other? I think it helps Michigan a ton more than it helps Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin was kind of rolling. Um, you know, now they get a couple of weeks off and everybody's telling them how great they are and, oh, we underestimated Wisconsin and all this and that. You know, Michigan, when they had so many issues, so many injuries, a lot of things to clean up, you know, you get that extra week, you can kind of sit back and you know, look at what's gone wrong, what they haven't been able to do. They can try to get some guys healthy for that showdown. Um, I think it helps Michigan uh, more than Wisconsin, but it's going to be hard for them to win a camp round of the way these two teams have looked so far. All right, we'll talk plenty more about that game, I'm sure, next week. We're not too far off, I promise, from our professional, enclosed, private studio. But until then, wait. until then, this conference room will have to do. And uh, the noise outside, I think, was kept to a minimum today. So uh, we'll take that. And uh, we'll enjoy week three. And about 25% of the season is going to be already done a few days from now. It's pretty pretty hard to believe. Yeah, once it gets going, it seems like it goes really, really fast. That's can't can't sure. really get off that, the tracks once, uh, once it starts rolling. So Exactly. Looking forward to it, and looking forward to sitting down next week and doing this all over again. Sounds good, man. All right. All right, thanks once again to H and Joshua for joining me. ETN's really lucky to have both those guys, both really good at what they do. And I hope you enjoyed those interviews as much as I enjoyed chatting with those two individuals. All right, we'll wrap it up with that, and we'll keep... uh, Grinding along here as college football enters, I guess, the second quarter of the season. Um, gonna have week three in the rearview mirror pretty soon here, and uh, already pretty much be 25% done with the regular season. So that's hard to believe, and we'll keep it rolling. So definitely keep listening, keep it locked by subscribing to um, Take 10 Podcasts on, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks, as always, to producers Julie Bronder and Wes White. Thanks to everyone out there for listening, as always, and we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.